What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to All The Smoke, a production of The Black Effect and Our Heart Radio, in partnership with Showtime. Welcome back to another edition of All The Smoke. Stack, what's good? Good, bro. Another day, another dollar. Let's get it. Man, we got two very special guests today, Oscar Award winners. Trayvon Free. What's going on, man? My man Van Lathan. What's up, G? Man, rub, rub some of that Oscar love off. Man, man. <laughs> we trying to get man, some of you, you know what I mean? Something. I'm trying to win something. Man, man. Oh, man, let's get right to it, man. Two Distant Strangers struck gold. Yeah, man. Took home the Oscar a few weeks ago. You guys tell us how that came about. For me, it was like last year, everybody saw the same video, what happened to George, and, you know, we were all in quarantine, and... You know, we finally had a reason to go back outside. And it was just like experiencing those marches and the protests and seeing how the energy around these names and these people had been built up in a way that I had never experienced it before, Mm -hmm. where like the whole world was protesting. And it was like through internalizing that and and experiencing it every day, because we were going out like every day, like just wanting to be out there every day. And when you... When you're kind of internalizing that, the pain of hearing a different name, hearing Brianna's story, hearing Ahmaud's story, seeing George's story, you feel like you're just living in that loop like right. of emotions every single day. You just go through it over and over and over again. And in, in that cycle, you just you go from like anger to sadness, hopelessness, and then hopefully back to being hopeful again and trying to figure out, you know, how can we stop this shit from happening? And when I had that idea of like, or that, that thought of like, this feels like the worst version of Groundhog Day. Mm. It was just like, you know, I got to I gotta do something with that. It just kind of stuck with me. And it was that script. Like, I just went and and, and wrote that script. I wrote it in, like, five days. Damn, and, you got right to it. Um, yeah, it just, well, it was one of those things, too. It was like, I my, my background is TV writing. So, you know, you have to write a half-hour script in a week when you get an assignment on a, on a show. 
And nobody was working, nobody was doing nothing. And I was like, well, I need something to do anyway. Like I can pour this energy into this thing that I already know how to do. Mm -hmm. And you know, just see what kind of comes out of it. And then I told Van about it and he read it and he was like, you gotta, you gotta do this like this year. Cause we were like toying with like, do we wait? Do we like shoot this like next year? No better time and than now. He was, we, he was wild. <laughs> so like but Van, Zarya, like everybody's like, we got to do it now. his ass. Like the, the idea comes and he comes with the script. And I think his TV background is like, he's used to pitching something and getting the feelers on it and see how it goes. And I remember me, him and Nick, um, when we started our company Six Feet Over, we had already been having like meetings about what it was that we wanted to go out with. We're talking about all of these great things. We're talking about, we're putting together pitch decks, man. We go and sit down in studios. We have flyers, animated show. We got all of this different mm -hmm. shit. And then he goes, you know, I got this idea, man. It's like a Groundhog's Day thing. And it's like, it has to do with police violence. I'm listening to him talking about it. I'm like, nigga, are you sick? Like, that's the idea. Mm -hmm. Like, we got to do that Especially now. right now. And we can't wait. Like, if we look at it, just the design of everything was that this was going to be a time where there wasn't much content that was coming out, right? Mm -hmm. Where people felt hamstrung. They felt like they couldn't overcome the obstacles that were in the way of getting your art out. Yeah. Right now, we had everything we needed. We had the creative vision. We had all of the sort of connections. We could get it all done. We had great partners with people over at Dirty Robber. I didn't even know who they were yet, right? And so it was like, we get this done now, we get a chance to contextualize this moment for so many people. And after that, it was just gas pedal mm -hmm. to the end. Like nobody took a breath, especially not Trayvon and Marge. How difficult was it? I mean, if you guys can answer this, but bringing all this together during COVID because nobody was shooting, nobody was doing nothing. I'm sure the budget was all over the place because like I said, there's yeah, so much man. uncertainty during that time. It was, I mean keeping it real real it was insane mm. like everything we were trying to do defied logic of how this stuff works mm. of what's possible even in a non-pandemic like all of it like none of it was all just like we just go aim for the moon and see like what happens and there was this energy around the project where it just wanted to happen it just wanted to work out like every wall we hit we found a way through it and so it was like write the script in july August, we start raising money. We go to KD, we go to Mike Conley, we go, uh, like, everybody's just like, ask whoever you know. Whoever Nick, you know. you didn't fucking come to me, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> ask ask mm. whoever you know who will give us any amount of money to do this. And what makes that even crazier is they weren't even allowing people to shoot. Yeah. Like, there was no guarantee that we could do all this, raise all the money, get to the point where we are ready at the start line, and actually be able to shoot it. Mm -hmm. And so we just doing it with the hope that right. when we get to September, Ooh, maybe they might allow people to start shooting again. Mm -hmm. So we get Joey in beginning of August. Andrew was like the first person I, I told about it before I even wrote it. And he's on board. We get the casting, Zarya, everybody's like on board. And we just chasing money, chasing money, chasing money while we also chasing permits and setting up the bank account. We started with $0. We finished production with less than zero dollars <laughs> like, yeah, i believe it yeah. and we, we it got to the point where we were when we, even we were filming when we were able to film we didn't have enough money to finish all five days of filming we were still chasing money while we were shooting so we got the money for like the last two days while we were filming the actual mm. movie and wow. so it was all just like 
building the plane while you falling out of the but sky. Came, yeah, like the came whole, together though. Yeah. And every, I, t- I kid you not, man, every step of the way, like it was just like blessing, 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 blessing. Like the permits, they take four to six weeks. We got them in three days. Mm. Like all these things that were supposed to be obstacles that was supposed to make this impossible. It they just to fell be. away. The COVID stuff. Mm-hmm. That, that, when we, we raised like, Three almost three hundred thousand dollars, like which would which would have been enough to like shoot the movie, and we get we finally get to SAG, and they're like, so you need to have a company, oh, a COVID shit. company, mm-hmm. like approved, like create a plan for you guys is like testing and everything. We find a company, it is literally half of the money we raised. Mm-hmm. So it's like spend the money, spend half of your money that you already have to be able to do the movie, but now you don't have enough money to, to do, do the movie. Yeah, right. and so we're like. Well, shit, we got to do it. We just have to go find more money. More money, mm-hmm. and so I'm like Van, Nick, everybody, Samir, everybody, just go get five dollars from somebody. Get like yeah. whatever you can Again, get. Again, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the crazy thing about it was that we had so many people working on the problem. So many people were cooking, like we didn't even know what other people's recipes oh, were. Oh yeah. Like we we're at Lawrence's house. Lawrence Bender, another producer on the movie, and me and Trayvon were talking. We were talking about getting the finance right. And me and Trayvon said then, we said, okay, well, you know, to start off, if we have to go in our own pockets and pay for the movie, then we'll do that. Now, that was me saying that, <laughs> not thinking that that was actually going to happen, right? right? God, like, it will come up with it some kind of way. But now nah, we had to. Yeah. And it was, it was one of the first things to where I, <laughs> I, the commitment that I had to make, the first commitment I had to make was to myself, was that this is something that I'm willing to gamble on. Because you spend X amount of dollars on a short, that's money that you have to be okay with not Losing. getting that back. Yeah. Right. So it was a lesson for me in that the idea and the art had to be more than the game. Mm, right. And that's a hard step to make. Everybody want to make something dope so you can go out and tour on it, get on a jet with it, get a deal with it, get let into all of the clubs with it. But when you're making it just to get it off your chest, that's normally when you hit your mark, you know what I mean? Yeah. And Samir was instrumental because, funny story about like Samir, Samir is a guy who we added to Six Feet Over a little bit later, but he was the one that was doing the, the Mike Conley stuff and the Rich Kleiman and the Kevin Durant stuff. Yeah, shout out Mike Mike Conley, Kevin Durant, Rich Kleiman mm-hmm. uh, for being a part of the pro. For and, being a know. part of the project, yeah. And yeah. so I talked to Durant, me and him DM sometimes, right? And so... I'm hearing that he's going to be on the project or he's on the project. So I, I shoot him a DM. I'm going, hey, bro, I hear we're going to be working together. No response. So I'm thinking. And you know he's on that motherfucker. Yeah. I'm thinking, like, <laughs> I'm like, no response. I'm thinking, well, damn. Do we really even have that fucking money? Like, are we going to be stuck? Do we? Is this some nigga telling Samir that he's Kevin Durant? And like, we're like, like, we not going to get the bread. So, so, and everything. But another thing is st- stress demands that you sit in it, right? Mm. So whenever you're stressed out about something, mm. one, one crucial ingredient to stress is concentration. In order to be stressed about something, you have to if concentrate on, on, on what's wrong with you, right? Mm-hmm. right? And we all do that. We're, t- we're like Our bodies are wired to do that, right? We're wired to concentrate on what's going wrong so we can fix it. It's a pro-evolutionary right. trait. Right. In this situation, we just did not have time to be stressed out. Right. We didn't have time. I sent the list of people that I know in this business, all of my pro-black warriors, <laughs> that I sent this script to and asked to be involved. It's a who's who of the industry. Mm-hmm. And of all of that, 
none of those people came through. Damn. And it's not a, it's not even a shot to them. It's, it's just, just it was something it we had to do. Right. right. You want to go get no help. Yeah, yeah, we had oh one guy, my bad. One guy came through after a while. Shout out to <laughs> shout out. My bad. My bad. He's gonna be pissed off. Puff did. Okay. Puff did. Puff did. Puff did. Like, we, like Puff was my big cat. So after after a while, Puff came through and, and, and you know, Puff was very instrumental. He he helped us out. But you it was something we had to do ourselves right. and, and with, with the people who wanted to be a part of it, you know? Mm-hmm. So tell me, because I'm I'm in this space. Take me through the process. So you guys created the film. Did you take it to any festivals? I heard I heard you guys sold to Netflix eventually, right? So yeah. take us through the process. And so once you made it, it it premiered. What was that route? So we we shot it, we got it at that point. We got nobody. It's just us. It's just a movie we paid for and made. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were courting Netflix like, yo, like we got this movie. All of us have Netflix connections. We're trying to get them to buy into it and like, you know, help us like, pick up this bill that we like are trying to pay. And they kind of was like around, around, and they just ghosted us. Mm-hmm. And so November comes, you got to like, the only festival we were able to even submit to time-wise with Sundance and they rejected us. Mm. Um, and so we were like, well, all we have left is we can submit for the Oscars. And so that was like, I think December 1st or 2nd, we submit and we are just like kind of waiting around, like hoping, you know, cause you find out if you actually qualify. Once you submit, you don't guarantee you qualify. Mm-hmm. You have to meet all these like- Requirements. These, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we qualify and we're like, cool. Now we like, okay, so we, not only do we have negative money, we like owe like a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> to the movie or some crazy number. And now we need to hire a publicist to represent the movie mm. so that we can like campaign it cuz we submitted for the Oscars like cool all right so we we start like everyone's like Roger, this dude at Rogers and Cowan is supposed to be the best. He repped Kobe's movie. They won. They repped Parasite. They won like so it's like go talk to this dude. So we go we find Craig uh Craig Grivey at, at uh Rogers and Cowan and He's like, yeah, cool. Like, yeah, normally we don't do stuff this last minute. Like, normally we get a movie a year in advance and then we campaign throughout the year. That's the normal process. Y'all want us to pick up the movie literally a month before the Oscar uh, voting starts. And so we're like, yeah, we kind of like, that's what we want to do. And so we're like, look, I can't, I can't guarantee y'all like anything will happen, but we could try. Also, the bill is going to be like, when it's all said and done, like close to $300,000 or something like that. And at this point, we're like, who the fuck? Like, who? Okay. And so we just like... Cash app you something. Right. We just like, let's let's do it. And luckily for me, I had just sold a movie to Apple. So the check came the week after this phone call. You didn't get to smell and it. And so I was able over. to just pay as we went, whatever we needed up until the point that we could find distribution and so once we got nominated, um, Netflix was like, hey, remember hey, us? Uh, <laughs> and, That's how it works. And they, they paid real. Uh-huh. They, they had to make up for the fact that they was at the dance before it started right. and then came along. And so they, they, uh, we don't have no bills no more, to put That's it the least. That's thing, man. On the, crazy. on the festival <laughs> point, I do want to shout out one, one group, though. I want to shout out to people from Tribeca. Because uh, I sent it to Amy Schumer, and Amy Schumer, this is the first time I knew that the movie really was going up, right? Because I sent it to Amy Schumer, and then Amy Schumer turned around and she got the people from the Tribeca Film Festival involved. And there was like a conversation with them about them accepting it to Tribeca, um, but that's not until 
August of this year. So we would have had to wait the whole mm, cycle. Right. So there was some festival love out there, but that's like the first time they were so enthusiastic about the movie. And I want to shout out the people at Tri Tribeca Film Festival. That was the first time that I realized, hey, like this You're product, something. yeah, this people love this. Mm -hmm. And it happened right after, like she was like the next day after we found out we didn't get into Sundance. Right. It was like, yo, they really want the movie. They wanted it like, bad. Like she wanted it bad. And I was and like, okay, so we not like crazy. Right. right. Like, so the movie's good, right? Mm -hmm. Like Amy goes right away. She goes crazy. She sends it over. We talked to the lady. We just couldn't make it work. But I want to make sure that they know that like we appreciate that even mm -hmm. though we went the way that we went. We, right. we, we had to. No, you had to do what's best Couldn't wait. Had to right. talk. Yeah. Had, had to tell a story right. now. Yeah. So Oscar night comes. Walk us through that night. I mean, you guys have made it. And it did, I mean, obviously it's a dream, but when you're actually there, it was to pinch yourself. What was that shit like? Yeah, man. I did, I hadn't slept in like four months, bro. <laughs> like, not like I'm not even exaggerating. Like, I thought I was sleeping from January to April. And I it, thought I was sleeping. And it wasn't until the night after everything was over and we won. And I went to bed that night and I was like, oh, like that's what sleep feels like. Cause the stress right. of the all whole shit process, happened so fast, it was though. fast. Right. Not only was it fast, but every day you are spending five hours a day talking about police brutality. Mm. Just really like talking about it every single day, all day. And then Right before nominations, Dante Wright gets killed. Mm. All of our press, we had finally gotten the press to a point where it was about the filmmaking. It was about like wh what we did and like the art of it all after we had beat the like talking about the police stuff to death. And the that happens and it all shifts back. And it's like all immediate. And it's like every interview wants to talk about Dante Wright. Everybody wants to talk about the Chauvin verdict about to come out the next week. And mm. Then the verdict comes comes down the last day of voting. So people have one more day to vote. The show and verdict comes out and there's two hours left to vote. And Hollywood Reporter writes, immediately puts out a piece about our movie. Wow. And Tiny. like, just, like the timing of it all yeah. was just so crazy. The like time. every part of like what we went through, it just, the fact that we got nominated around the time the trial started, it just kept lining up with the whole thing where our movie was the most in the moment right now movie mm. in the entire Oscars of, mm. of every movie. Right. And people were telling us like, yo, y'all movie is more talked about than like the best picture nominees. Mm. And it's a short. And it was just like, we just hit this part of the zeitgeist with what people were feeling and what was happening in the country in a way that just we never could have imagined or mm. predicted. And it's crazy because you say timing is everything and it is, but I'm convinced of something now is that timing is everything, but timing is also divine. Things happen at the time that they're supposed oh, to happen. Exactly. There yeah. you go. And there you go. the best thing that you can do is be prepared because when it's your time, you got to be able to meet the moment. Yep. We were having a production call about whether or not to start this whole thing with premiering the movie at Tribeca later on and then going for this the the award season and the festival season next, next year, year or whether or not to do it now. And I remember Lawrence said something. Lawrence Bender, one of our producers, shout out to Lawrence Bender and Jesse Williams. Lawrence said, in order for us to get this done this year, I'm just letting you guys know that everything would have to go perfectly. 
And when you hear that, that's daunting because like what goes perfectly? Nothing. Nothing. You know what I mean? He goes, everything would have to go perfectly. And for whatever reason, it did. I mean, it wasn't when you look back on it, it didn't go perfectly, but, but it you went found a way. exactly the way that it was supposed mm-hmm. to yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, man, it's like I never was a part of anything like that before. Beautiful. Yeah. It, Love it. it felt like magic, man. Yeah. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Six Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Obviously, winning an Oscar is a, is a, a tremendous honor, but what is it like to win an Oscar when you're telling such an important, timely story? Because, I mean, obviously, you can make a great film, and hey, we won the Oscar, but it's a great piece. Like, this piece was important and timely as well. So how, how, how much did that add to the excitement of actually winning? That was the thing that probably made me the most, like, nervous throughout the whole process, like, stressed out throughout the whole process, because we had made this movie that was so not what you normally see in the academy, not the kind of stuff you normally see them embrace. Yep. And we had been told from the beginning, it's like, yo, y'all got to walk this really, really, really fine line because this, like, love it or not, like, this body of voters is, like, older white people. And you bring in all black folk. And we we not only have this big black team of of creatives and producers, but we also have a movie about the most hot-button thing mm. being talked about in the country right now. And... You know, they can either flat out reject it or they can like embrace it. Mm -hmm. And when we got shortlisted, we were like, okay, that's interesting. And then we get nominated and we're like, oh, like that's it. Like we might actually be doing something. And then you get to the point where it's like, 
Or is it this going to be that thing where it's just like, oh, we'll nominate you guys because, like, you know, do your favorite. We we it's that like time. yeah, like we we want people to think we like are almost there or kind of right. there. And so it was. I was just like, I can't. I don't know if they're gonna accept this. Like, I don't know if they can have this conversation with us. And so many people were telling us like, y'all gonna win. Y'all gonna win. Y'all gonna win. From even from back in January, y'all gonna win. And I just couldn't believe it until it happened, man. Like, I just. It was just hard. It was it was really like stressful. Just the weight of knowing that if this movie wins, what it says to the world. Right. If if the the most prestigious award you can win for film is given to a movie about that was inspired by the death of George Floyd, that is about police brutality and not like softly about police brutality. Shit in your face. That is like in your face, mm-hmm. like making you mm-hmm. confront the thing you don't want to talk about, like that's going to be huge. Like, that's going to be game-changing. And so it was just the closer you get, you feel the weight of, like, are we going to actually do it? Like, is it going to actually happen? Because it's going to change all of our lives. Like, even being nominated is going to change all of our lives. But winning is going to it's going to be spectacular. Like, not only are we making history, like, no black person's ever won this award. Right. But also, like, you've invited all of these very black, very pro-black people to the conversation in a way that they've never been invited that's important this is for both of you but i'll go with van first how has your life changed since winning an oscar shit people from high school didn't come out the world <laughs> oh, they know you let me hold something yeah man <laughs> know you got it you know they you know it's like oh shit man the price going up bro it ain't going up yet Give you like, let, let it ruminate for a second yeah. you know yeah i think a couple of things, though. Number one, obviously, we have a lot more opportunities to tell the next story, which mm-hmm. is very important. It's weird. Um, for me, validation from my community and my culture is first. By far. It, it, it's first. You know what I mean? It's first. So the conversation surrounding two different strangers, the good and the bad, I'm willing to sit down and have front, front-facing conversations with the people from my community, right? Because their validation means something because it's them that we're trying to make whole. And the reality is you don't want to have to make a movie about this. Mm -hmm. And I want to make a distinction about something because there's a huge conversation surrounding stories featuring black trauma, right? And people talking about stories where black people get brutalized. I want people to pay attention to the end of our movie. At the end of our movie, the last picture of Carter that you see He's alive. Mm-hmm. He's not only alive, he has agency. He's emboldened. He's ready to take on a challenge that exists outside of his door. And he's going to be brave about it. He's going to be diligent about it. And he's going to be persistent about it. And he's telling you into the camera that we are going to Ooh, win. Yeah. Like we're going to win. It's not going to be an easy journey, but we're going to win. Mm-hmm. And that was purposefully done Absolutely. by Trayvon. That's mm-hmm. purposefully done to say that there's not enough forces out there that can make our community sit in trauma in perpetuity. We are going to figure this out, or everybody else is going to have to figure something mm-hmm. out. But America, as it currently exists, you're looking at a generation of people that just refuse to live in this. We're not going to live in this. And if everything comes apart, then everything comes apart. But it's not going to be like this forever. And so you're making a film like that. You're, you're, you're specifically telling that story. And the Oscar 
What it means is that you did it to a high degree. It means you executed the filmmaking to a high degree. It means technically the, the film looks great. It's written great. It's acted great. It's shot great. And you hit your thematic target, right? Perfect. Perfect. The response from your community is tells, tells you whether or not it's good or not. Mm-hmm. Good in that particular point, it, it has to come for me from the people who can understand the experience and who can parse apart what their emotions feel like. If it's good and authentic to them, you win. The Oscar helps you tell the next story. Mm-hmm. And the next story hopefully is a heartfelt romantic comedy with two black people on a cruise mm-hmm. drinking Mai Tais or mm-hmm. hijinks and comedies or black superheroes or all of that Just stuff. Just opening the door. Opening the door for you mm-hmm. to be able to do what you got to right. do because they know you can execute right. the film right. in a filmmaking fashion. Right. I mean, similar in our space. I mean, obviously, our basketball backgrounds, knowing in this uh, this space we're going to have to come in talking about sports, but once we prove we can do that, you can step into other spaces. We open that door to go whatever direction. Yeah. Now exactly. we're respected yeah. in several different spaces, so it's obviously very similar to what <clears throat> you guys have going on. Trayvon, how, how has it changed for you? I mean, it's it's been drastic, man. Like, the amount of, like, people tell you, like, oh, if you win, like, things are going to be different. But when you actually experience the, I've been on, in meetings for the last three weeks, bro. Like, every day is people like, do you want to direct this? Do you want to write that? Do you want to direct this? Do you want to write that? Like, and not even like, like, it's real shit. Big, like, big names, big budget where you're like, Damn, like three weeks ago. You didn't even fucking fuck with like, fucking like, mm-hmm. like y'all didn't even like I wasn't even on y'all radar mm-hmm. for this kind of now you're like bringing me fifty million dollar movies mm-hmm. to like go to like that. do and you're like, I could have did it three weeks ago too. But right. like mm-hmm. it's that thing, it's just the way the business works where like you have to prove yourself. You gotta prove it. You get a a road laid out in front of you where people are going to probably let you work for the rest of your life as long as you don't like do something crazy. Right. And you know what's funny about that too? It's like, you know, you see people win an Oscar for like some movie where they play like a brilliant heroin addict, genius saxophone player. Go out their body, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? And then after they win the Oscar, their next movie is a movie with them and an animated gorilla. <laughs> and you think to yourself like, why are they doing that? And the reason is, is because they come at you with all of these ideas and you go, well, shit, for 30 million, I'm, I'm going to try this too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So it's just like, but it, and that's why there is a degree once you've, once you've got yourself into a world, there is a degree of discipline that comes along with it yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. You know can't what I mean? Take everything. So you, yeah, right, can't do exactly. everything. Yeah. Go that's where you get the most temptation. Now, there was definitely like a couple of days ago, actually, we got offered, I can't say what movie it was, but it was a, it's a really fucking big movie. And I said no to it like pretty quickly because it was one of those things where it's like, oh, this is the trap. Mm-hmm. Like, this is you. the thing where like, because it was, it was one of those situations where like directors fell out, they need a replacement, and it shoots in like four months. And like, can you, and it's like, if you, uh, if you had told me a year ago, somebody would offer me like something like this and I would say no to it. I'm like, hell no, I'm gonna right. say yeah. Like right. and now, like like you said, everything is different. You gotta yeah. like calculate all Absolutely. these things. Recognize like, the trick bag. Yeah, yeah, where it's like, yes, that is a great bag yeah. and a great like name but project. The risk. Yeah. But yeah. it ain't like it don't fit. 
Yeah. It don't fit right now. It don't fit with what we trying to do. It don't fit mm. the long term thing. Mm-hmm. And you can't just like, if you fall into it, like it could be a year or two from now, you ain't like doing nothing. Like, no, but it's good you guys have a vision. Like you say, you're not just falling. Like you have a, you know, you have your plan. Your shit is mapped out, and that doesn't fit in the plan. No matter how big or what the money is, if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. Who are some of y'all influences in the film business that inspired you? Wow. Well, obviously Spike Lee. Uh, I think the finest. Um, movie, my favorite movie, the, the 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 greatest achievement in black film ever, the greatest one of the greatest achievements in film ever is Mo Better Blues. Yep, good movie, perfect film. Um, uh, Spike Lee, Stanley Kubrick, Bill Duke. From a filmmaking standpoint, obviously you love guys like Steven Pil- Spielberg, Ryan Coogler. I think mm, to me, shout out Ryan, he's a monster. To me, I think Ryan Coogler right now is the best director working. He's just got a genius way of pacing story. Like, when you think about Black Panther, right, and you know that Ryan Coogler's, you know, from Oakland, when you think about what was done in the filmmaking there, to take that story with all of those powers, with all of that scale, with all of that mythology going back to the 60s in that character, and ground that film in Oakland, in Oakland, mm-hmm. a struggle of worldwide blackness. Think about it. That struggle, that has to do with the black American struggle as juxtaposed to an international identification and identity of blackness. The fight is really between, the the, the takeaway in that movie is the fight is really between us. Each other, yeah. About how much we want to help us. Yeah. About our duty and responsibility to us. And everything that comes from outside of that is just distractions. Like in that movie, Claw and the CIA and all of these, they're they're just distractions to the real fight, which is between different versions and visions of blackness. He did that with a superhero movie. Mm. That's genius action Mm -hmm. right there. That's amazing work. But you know, I'm a film geek. So the Stanley Kubricks of the world, the Martin Scorsese's of the world, Mm -hmm. like all of those guys. You just have to have a wild, you have to have a palette, you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. of, of influences. Yeah, I mean, I for me, it's like obviously like so many of the names he said, but directly like I I'm inspired by Barry Jenkins so much oh, yeah. and the way that he moves the camera and the way that he he can you know just take something he can he can make anything beautiful in a way that I just like I want to just study it all the time. But like uh, Alfonso Caron is another big one for me. Like his his ability to like bring you into a story and almost make you forget that like you're a part of it is, is mm-hmm. something that I admire. Um, Wong Kar Wai is just like one of the most beautiful filmmakers like uh, in the world. And uh, I try to like look at what makes so many of the greats great. And then I try to, f- figure out, you know, what element of myself I connect to in that and, like, how that shapes me as a filmmaker because that it's that thing where, like, <clears throat> like I started in stand-up. So every stand-up, when you're starting out, you're imitating whoever your favorite comic is. Mm. Like, it's just bar none. Like, you just always start out writing, like, whoever jokes that sound like your favorite comic. And over time, you do it long enough, you start to find yourself in it. You start to start to figure out, you know, who you are, what your voice sounds mm-hmm. like. And... It's why we all have influence. It's why everybody was trying to like fade away like like Mike and do all this thing until you figure out, you know, what your game how you is. Or how yours. you yeah, like until you find yourself. 
I find myself doing it as a filmmaker and a, and a writer where, you know, I spent the early part of my career writing for other people, writing for other showrunners, writing for other actors and things like that. And then over time, within that, you start to figure out who you are and what elements of this is like, oh, this is just the show, but this part of the script is actually like me. Yeah. It's like what I feel, what I want to do. And John Singleton is another one. Like I just like the way he can tell a story is, I mean, it's it's going to be missed. Unflinching and like, unforgiving. It's going to be right missed. to the point, John. Mm -hmm. and damn. So yeah, like that's kind of where I found my influence in, in, in figuring out, you know, how I want to tell stories visually. Yeah, man, John, rest in peace, John. Rest I got a peace, chance John to go Singleton. to the, um, they were you there or Nick might have been there. Uh, John Singleton when he when when they played Poetic Justice, the twenty five year anniversary. Nah, of Poetic I make Justice. it. I make it. Shit, Nick, you was there, right? Yeah. I went with you, right? That shit was dope, man. To just rewatch the film and then hear the whole the stories about who was supposed to play what and all the drama that happened <laughs> yeah. with Pac and then and that shit was cold. But mm. and fun fact, when I first started thinking of this show, Van was our third person. Yeah, no one knows. Oh, yep. Remember the meet we had about? <laughs> we did. Yeah. Van couldn't yep. get out of his TMZ contract. So we had TMZ him. contract. But like when I first started this show, I was like, Jack, me and you, I was like, who's our third person? Who's our third person? I'm like, let's go get Van. Let's but, meet at Viola. Bet, right. let's chop it up. Met yeah. at Viola, go to Viola, have a great time. I'm like, yo, yeah. this is going to work, man. So you told us you needed a year. I needed yeah. a year. Yeah. <laughs> I needed a year. They wouldn't yeah. let me out. And, and you know, something about that is once again, the show is better without me. <laughs> it is. It, like the, the the show is better without right. me. The reality is that, like everything, people get so caught up in the opportunities that they missed and the things that didn't happen. You just gotta know that whatever's out there for you, it's man, gonna, yeah. you're gonna get it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. It, 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 it would be good to have you around because you know I call you and text you sometimes and ask you your opinion on stuff. So right now, Van's it, one of the smartest yeah, motherfuckers smart I know. Like we have just these random conversations where we'll just bounce something off the wall and go at it for like thirty minutes. I'm like, bro, I got, I'm late. I got to get my kids or something. Yeah, like, like, yeah, like, 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 hey, like, man, I'm a, I'm a father and an activist yeah. and a coach and yeah. all that. I'll, I'll hit you later. <laughs> yeah. But now, nah, what y'all been able to do? And this, this is another thing. This is why one of the most mystifying things in the world to me is hating. Mm -hmm. I don't understand hating. Why, why? I really don't get hating. I wish I could like, I wish I actually knew a hater so they could explain to me hating. Because <laughs> I see the show and automatically the show is a hit, right? Automatically the show is a hit. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at my guys win, change narratives and dynamics and perspectives and I'm so filled up with joy for everybody that's winning. I'm trying to figure out where does the hate come, come in? From. Yeah, yeah. Like, where does the hate come from? Yeah. You know, people people will say like, uh, like when I say all of the smokers, like, yeah, man, those are my guys. Actually, I was gonna be in the show. Oh, you must really be mad. Mad about what? <laughs> right. Yeah. Word. Word. Like you. What's for you won't miss you. Damn, pathetic idiot. Like, what would you be mad about? So nah, man, I'm 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 happy, and y'all had an idea. Once again, y'all had an idea. Y'all went out, y'all executed. Y'all knew y'all could do it, and the show is now a staple. It's a, it, it's the saying: what I want for myself, I want for my brother. Van, what has it been like your journey uh, from where you started to you know kind of been known as 
the black guy at TMZ to mm-hmm. now where you're at with your production company, Red Pill, and kind of just the way things have evolved. Take us on that journey. You got yeah. you got tired of seeing on your pay. Protect Van at all took costs. Protect, Protect Van. Van at all. We got to make sure Van okay. We got to make sure Van okay. So here's the thing about TMZ that I don't think a lot of people know is I really did not know what TMZ was when I got there. I really didn't know. Like I, you know. Uh, my girl being there watching the the celebrity news and stuff like that, I never cared about it. I never looked down on it, but I never cared about it, right? The thing that I would look at the celebrity news shows, I would be like, hey, they're covering the same five to ten stories on every show. Like, me and her would argue because she would go in there and she would watch E! News, and then she would watch the other one, the 10, and she would watch uh, the whatever, the extra and all that. I'd be like, yo, they all talking about the same shit. Brad and the new girl went out on a date. How many fucking times did you hear about You know what I mean? It's the same fucking story. Right. And so when I actually got to TMZ, I was I was unemployed and I had just lost my unemployment because I lost my unemployment on accident because I did a commercial, but I didn't know I was doing a commercial. I did I did a, a razor commercial to where these people told me to come out to Van Nuys and use all these products and then use a razor. And then when I was using a razor, Dude job, jumped out and went, you ready for Ge- Ge- Gillette Pro, Pro Glide Fusion Challenge or whatever like that? I'm like, oh, shit. And it's a razor <laughs> Don't commercial. Don't fuck my employment up. Right. And so, and so after I do that, I get paid for it. And so then I go on the unemployment thing and I put down that I did a commercial. Readjusted my unemployment to $75 a week. I'm fucked. Now I got to get a job. I can't. <laughs> the government's not going to pay for me to pay, play pickup basketball anymore. Right. First job is TNC Tour Guide. Tour guide. Okay, that's around the city, right? Yeah, around the city. So I was 31, and I'm thinking, man, all of these great big dreams I had, and I'm a tour guide at 31. But I did it because I go back, and I, I ask her about it, and she says, yeah, 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 take it. You should take it. She's like, you're going to be on the television show. But once again, I didn't know what the show was. I, I thought it was just like E or anything else. I didn't understand the controversy. I didn't get the salacious nature of the show or anything like that. Also didn't get the culture problems that existed there mm. um, until a little while after I was like a television sort of mainstay. I remember I was on TMZ a lot and I've said this before and they did a video. There, there was a video where they were talking about different rappers and they put up a picture of Wiz Khalifa and under that it said Lil Bow Wow. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, all right, people make mistakes. But one of these niggas is six foot five. <laughs> and the other one of them is five nine, five. They look completely different. No resemblance. We are the celebrity experts. <laughs> like we're the people that are supposed to know, know shit, right. the difference. We're the celebrity experts, right? We're the people that are supposed to know. So there's something in there that's either unrepresented or not being represented. So I felt it, uh, my responsibility if I was going to be on a show to go there and then represent that, right? And it was a handful. It was a job that, to be honest with you, I'll never endeavor to do again. I'm not going to be the black voice of reason mm, for anyone to ask that. ever again. Mm-hmm. Ever. How no. heavy was that lift? Because like you said, you, not knowing the history, I mean, I'm being in LA so long, you just always heard and seen TMZ. Like anytime anything anti-black or black issues came up, they looked at you. 
every yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, but not just them, everybody, Everybody right? did, right. So the company looks at me, <laughs> right? and then the viewership looks at me. And then our community's looking at you. Right, and then our community, the community's looking at me. So after a while, it becomes a situation to where you almost lobotomize yourself because even if you do have thoughts on a specific issue, I just refused at any point at TMZ really for me to be too critical of anything that would come from the black community because I didn't feel like I was in a safe space to do that. Mm. Like if we're on like one of our platforms, we can say, okay, he's wilding or okay, she's wilding or okay, whatever. But you had to protect us Don't and matter. talk about us. Don't matter. Mm-hmm. Do bring an AK-47 to Disneyland. I'm like, you don't know what he's been through. <laughs> like, if you grew up where he grew right. up, you bring an AK-47 to Disneyland too. But man, mm-hmm. shouldn't he not have the AK-47 around the kids? Fuck that. You don't understand. <laughs> Next story. You know what I'm saying? Right. And really, that's something for Black Americans, period. We get pushed into that. We get pushed into it. Because there's, there's sort of no standard of decency in which we're treated. Everything looks a certain way. So then we we feel like, okay, well, fuck it. This is the thing. And so I had so many conversations, man. And in this, I want to shout, shout out Charlamagne and Killer Mike because... Two solid brothers, man. I love two, them, man. Two solid brothers, right? I want to shout out Charlamagne and Killer Mike because when something would go wrong, like those would be the guys, of course, Kalika, but those would be the guys that I would talk to about it. And Mike would be like, because I'm like, yo, I'm quitting. It's over. I'm done. I'm quitting. Mike would be like, nah, we need you there. And Shaw just never gets it. Shaw would be like, quit for what? You really care about what these people on social media that's, think? That sounds like him. Like, quit for what? Why you gonna quit? <laughs> he don't give a fuck. He, yeah, he doesn't he fucking care at all. Like, why you gonna quit? What you, what you gonna quit? You quit quit for somebody on, on Twitter who doesn't know your life? Right. You sound bugging. Call me back when you're feeling better. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but, it's, but it's a hard situation. And for anybody that's going to do it now, for anybody anywhere that feels like you got to be the, the black voice that's of reason, hey, I'm not saying that it doesn't have any utility. I'm not saying that it doesn't, that it's not useful. We need that. But be ready. You're going to shorten your life. Oh, yeah, no question. Mm. That's a lot of stress. I'm not fucking I with that. I always wondered that, bro. Yeah. I P- people that. talk a lot a lot about that, but like with you being a voice, like they don't understand like the stuff that come with it, the death threats and all that type of stuff cuz a lot of people don't don't have the 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 guts to speak out, but a lot of people don't like the fact that you have the guts to speak out. Very true. You know, so they hate the that. Right. They hate yeah, that because right. a lot of people are dying inside. They want they want to say the things you you know, they want to be as confident and as bold as you, but then again, damn, he that confident. Why well, I can't be that confident. The only thing I can I can do to reply to that is hate on him. And that, that's the only response, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. it's crazy that Jealousy. way. Everybody got a part to play. Last thing I'll say about this is this. Marion Barry had died in D.C. And, TC, and TMZ wrote a headline that people didn't like. And they came at me, right? And at first, I was I felt very, I felt, I, get, I got defensive. I felt crazy about that. I'm like, well, I didn't write this headline. Like, I didn't write that. I didn't do that. I'm arguing on the show that the headline was wrong. Right. Why are y'all coming at me? And then I said, that's actually not good enough. That's not good enough. That's not the way you go about that. You can't do that that way. Mm. You can't do that with your people. I had a conversation with one of my homies from The Nation, and we were talking about a story that we might want to do or something that we wanted to do. 
And I'll never forget, he said to me, he said, now listen, we'll do this and if it, if, and we'll put the truth out. But if it goes left, you will be accountable it's on you for this. You will be accountable. Mm-hmm. So if, if you stand in that room and they write the headline about Mary Berry, that's you. Mm-hmm. That's you. You take what comes with that. You, either you move on from it or you, you, you scab up and you scar up to where it doesn't bother you. But it's not, it's not that anything that happened at TMZ, it was TMZ and then Van. You were right in the middle of the room. Right. Be as you as you can be, but remember, as long as you're there, you're fucking there. Mm-hmm. And you just hope that there's a better there after you leave. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What were the positives? Yeah. From that, I mean, like I said, I, it wasn't all bad. You're not, you're not even portraying it as bad as all. But I'm saying, yeah. what were some positives, some perks being in that position? Uh, well, big positive was being on TV. Being on TV changed your life in LA. Mm-hmm. Just like you know, how uh, TMZ did make me rich, but being on TV in LA is just different. Like it's like a it's like a little club. LA's so crazy, man. Like you you go somewhere and then people, everybody's here for one thing. So people think that you must be special if you got it. Right. They don't know that you came off the tour bus, right? They don't know if they would have filled out, if they would have gone to entertainmentcareers.net for that one time, then they might have got that job. Mm-hmm. They don't know how fortunate it is to happen, but they think that you've done something. So it allowed me to meet a lot of people that that got me to my next thing. All of these guys in here that I'm cool with is not because of TMZ, but me being who I am on that show mattered. Right. And also, the Kanye moment was incredibly important mm-hmm. because the Kanye moment tethered me to my community in a big, loud way that would have been impossible, right? They, it was really my audition to be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have those auditions, and a lot of people go and do those things, but they don't normally get that much fanfare. Um, and more than anything, like being at TMZ around those people that were there, it was a, that was a group of people that I actually, my coworkers that I fell in love with. I love my coworker. Even the guy they accused me of choking was my man, like my dude and being around. Your hand slip. The, I didn't. I didn't choke the man, man. I went up to talk, put my hands on him to say, "Yo, bro, don't talk." And then it went left. But uh, I didn't choke him. I never choked anybody. But like, I, I really didn't choke him. Like seriously, if you watch the video, I really did. I don't know people. People always say that. Did you, you sound like Spreewell right now. Right. Like, yeah. like, did you choke out one of your coworkers? I didn't. Uh, but, but I grew. Right. Like I, I grew. The people in the office, like the the entire time I was there, I grew. I wouldn't. I, wouldn't take it back for anything having worked there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How exciting has it been building your new your new show, Higher Learning Pod? I've loved being at the Ringer. Mm-hmm. I think I have the best co-host. She's dope. Rachel Lindsay is a fantastic mm-hmm. co-host. Mm-hmm. We have a unique podcast in that it's like a it's real. It's real, and it's a a male female mm-hmm. perspective. I think that. Personally, this is what I think. I think that me and Rachel Lindsay, Higher Learning, are going to be the Regis. I love it. And Kathy Lee. Daytime talk. We are going to be the Regis and Kathy Lee. A little different, 
a little bit more in your face, yeah. mm -hmm. a little smarter, a little sharper. Not, I'm not trying to diss Regis and Kelly and Regis and Kathy. Not at all. But the show would be smarter, so maybe a little bit more topical. But that's why I see it. Like, the chemistry is great. The show is great. And, you know, we're still figuring it out. Y'all know that anytime you, you say something, it's a thousand people online that are looking to, to, to dissect it. it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, like, shit, I'm going to be honest with you. Rachel has just like made me more unfiltered because mm -hmm. she don't give a fuck. Yeah, she's solid. I've been on that with y'all. Yeah, solid. Like, solid. Like, like she don't <laughs> she's like. She's solid, bro. She don't give a fuck, yep. and she just she's out there. And she and also, bro, of she's course, super intelligent. Super intelligent, and sharing the spotlight with black women. I've done. I've done. I think three podcasts now on the Ringer. One I worked with Jamel Hill. The other one I worked Shout with Rachel. Jamel. Shout out Jamel Love here. Uh, I worked with Rachel Lindsay, man. Being with black women on a podcast and being a part of of, of the moment that they have and the moment that they that, that that they share and like the the things that they think and knowing that you're right there is dope. Mm -hmm. That makes you know. I go home. I talked to Kalika about that. I talked to my girl about that. Yo, man, Rachel said this. Jamel said this. You just want people to feel and be seen. Right. And it's, 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 I'm getting a chance to do that at the ringer. Mm-hmm. That's dope. Trayvon, comedian, actor, writer, uh, some of your credentials, uh, Full Frontal, uh, The Daily Show. When did you kind of feel like, was, was the Oscar the breakthrough or had you already had... You kind of were already on a pace of. No, I mean, I feel like it started with Daily Show because that was like my first TV job, and it was like, it was one of the biggest That's shows big on show. TV mm -hmm. at the time. When John, John, when did you? What what years were you there? I, I was there 2012 to 2016. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. so I was Trevor yeah. and John, mm -hmm. and so, you know, the uh, I started right before Obama got reelected, like literally like a week before. Mm. And that was my first, like up until then I was just doing stand up, stand up, stand up. And then when I got that job, like everything changed in like TV cause it was like a big deal. And then now people are like, oh, you can actually like do this. Like it's the same thing I had with the Oscars. Like you do it. And so people are like, oh, you can actually do it. Right. And, and so, um, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I can. And and then it's like also like I was the only black writer on the show, uh, like similar to that like same experience where like you're dealing with the new show, a topical show, and that's any an, type of black, a, any type yeah, of shit happens, and it's like right. all the eyes turn to you, like well, they, well, how do you feel about Trayvon Martin? How do you feel about blah blah blah, like right. that kind of thing, and it's super fucking awkward. But that was the beginning of my TV career. Like I started at the highest level in terms of like late night because the show had to that point had won 10 Emmys in a row mm, so now everybody's looking at you like oh so you this is just gonna you just gonna get it like mm -hmm. this is gonna happen and funny enough my first year was their first year losing after wow. <laughs> 10 years and it was See like we had black people goddamn but I told you we should have hired this motherfucker man. as soon as we did it we put a nigga named Trayvon on yeah. this I told you we should have hired this motherfucker <laughs> uh, but we got it back two years later so yeah. Um, but yeah, that was that was the beginning. And then after that, you could pretty much go anywhere. Like people would be trying to poach you all the time. Yeah. And and then once I had, you know, John announced he was leaving and me and Trevor were boys, and I was like the only person he really knew. We were the only I was the only friend he like kind of had mm -hmm. at the show. Cause we would just hang out in my office. It's like, he's black, I'm black. We hey, naturally just kind of like friends. fall into that that same thing when you're like the only two people anywhere. And so once he got the job, like I was 
I had gotten like a couple offers to go places and I was like, I'm just going to stay with you and like build this new show kind of thing. And then once uh, I kind of felt like I had run my course there and I had been doing it long enough, came back to LA and got really into the scripted TV game. And so I did like camping on HBO, Black Monday with Don Cheadle on Showtime. Mm -hmm. uh, shout out Showtime. Shout, shout out Showtime. Everybody mm -hmm. at Showtime is great. I love the Showtime people, man. And then it was just like TV show after TV show, the Lakers did the Lakers drama on HBO uh, in 2019. And then once 2020 came, it was just like, niggas were just sitting around. Nice. Like the show, everybody had either finished the writer's room. Mm. Everything had been like shut down, shut down. So that's when the movie came. It was like, I came up with the idea for the movie I sold to Apple with Idris Elba and in like the very, very beginning of the pandemic. And me and Simon Kenberg sold that. While that was like happening, Two Distant Strangers was kind of happening in between it all. And we sold that movie last August. And then it just, it was weird because like you were watching the world kind of collapse around you. And then like, but professionally, like my life was just like, yeah. do it. It just started doing yeah. this. And it was such a like strange thing to kind of like Balance live out. With. Yeah. No, we had it not to cut you off, but similar shit. Like we found our groove during the pandemic. Yep. It came out a lot better than we went yeah. in. But it's like, damn, I'm doing well. But you see what the world, yeah. everything around, like it's, you said, everything around you is crumbling. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I'm super blessed to be like in this position and like doing all this stuff. And it's like, it's just crazy that when like everybody's world collapsed and is collapsing around you and people are like, frontline workers and like Uber drivers and all these people are like having to deal with all these issues and you're like, man, so are they going to buy my movie? Or like, <laughs> like the problems are just mm, so different. different. Right. And you're trying to like not like feel like an asshole. Mm -hmm. But it's like, then you're just like, but this is just what that's, I do. That's your blessing. It's just me. Yeah, it's just mm -hmm. been what my life has been this mm -hmm. business. And I'm just fortunate that that's what it is. And so once all that started happening, like it just got us to here, man. Like it was. How do you feel like your experience in, in your journey prepared you for Two Distant Strangers? You know, it was being at Daily Show for as my first job was like, like you were talking about, Stack, like stuff just sets you up to be prepared for everything you're supposed to get. Mm -hmm. And that show is so fast paced. You have so much responsibility. Mm -hmm. And you have so little time to get it done. Like that show is four nights a week. It's live to tape. It's we start at nine a.m. You have an hour to write your script. You have twenty minutes to rewrite your script after you get your notes back. You got rehearsal at four o'clock. You got rewrite at five o'clock. The show is on at six. That's every single day. Mm. And you have a building full of people who are just like scrambling all day making that show happen. And it's a testament to why it was so good because mm -hmm. it was like. Everybody knew their job. Everybody was good at their job, and they just did it. Mm -hmm. And you wanted to, like, work hard for somebody like John because yeah. he was so good and such a great leader. And so having that experience for four years, I always say it felt like like comedy and, like, TV college. Like, it was like I got my four-year degree mm -hmm. in how to run a TV show, how to mm -hmm. run a production, how to lead a group of people in this particular, like, setting if, you, if it, like, came to that. And so once I left, everything else felt slow. Yeah. It was like, oh, like, you for anything. like, yeah, I'm like, oh, well, why are we not, why are we just sitting here? It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, because it's nothing like, I'm used to like, go, 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 go. And so when stuff does happen, when you're doing something and there is something to be done, you just, you just are ready for it. Like that, firefighters. Like that's kind of testing to the movie, though. The same thing you're saying, how the show was real fast paced. Look at all of the, the ad libbing and all the stuff yeah. that I had to do to get the show done. Yeah, you know that's what, what I mean? it felt like. All kind yeah. of stuff was coming, but 
experience is the best teacher, bro. And yeah. that, that's what basically what you're saying. I've yeah. been through it already, so anything that come now, I know how to deal with it. Yeah. You know what up? That's exactly what it felt like. It was like all those moments, you just didn't feel like they couldn't be done. They couldn't be fixed or couldn't be conquered. And it was all because like working on two of the best late night TV shows in TV, you just had to do it and you had to learn it. And how it many people had that resume though? Killer. <laughs> yeah, that's what the that, when he said all of that the shit. Two best. God damn, we just thinking a lot. That's the resume, bro. Yeah, <laughs> we wouldn't have known that if we weren't on the show. You know, like you said, I mean, he's been doing great work for so long, but now he's getting the recognition because of that. Because, Oscar, yeah. right? Oh, oh, right. You've been killing it, huh? Like, yeah, you know, you might just know me now because of this, but I've been doing my right. thing. So obviously, that's dope. Pay my dues. Uh, but you were a hooper too. Yeah, you went man. To, uh, Dominguez Hills. Where were you there? Ninety-eight to. I was at uh, Dominguez. Did you start rubbing? So you said they start rubbing on me. He's over. He's over. I was at Dominguez from '99 to 2003. So okay. Tyson Chandler, so Samir, Tayshawn had just left. So yeah, I'm '98. Um, so you missed Jason Thomas, yeah, Tayshawn, yeah, all them. Yeah, yeah, just missed him. Yeah. Um, and then Jason Thomas was a fucking monster. Two sports, bro. man. Yeah. He scared me to death with a quick story in eighth grade. Uh, we played him, and he had to play it on a team called PTI, and this nigga was windmilling, slapping the glass so hard that it shook in eighth grade. I remember I went home, and I wrote in my diary in school, I was like, I just seen Jason Thomas this weekend. There's no way I'm going to the NBA. And probably, <laughs> and probably the next week, he probably went through 10 touchdowns no, no and ran five. Super athlete. He, he was, was like a man in like junior high. in the country, too. What? Unreal, man. man. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you gotta think Love he's it. gonna guard. He don't care about guarding. He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard. Like you see him in the Olympics, he's gonna guard. And then on I'm top not of that, like that, see that, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then he's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. 
But yeah, talk to us. So Dominguez. Yeah, yeah. That was crazy because like our fresh, my freshman year, I think like Samira, that was your sophomore year, right? We won the national championship mm-hmm. that year. And it was, like, it was like, <laughs> it was like, we all play high school basketball. Yeah, that was yeah. That's like no, that stupid to win a, a yeah. national championship Word. of high school. Yeah, like it was like, it, it was like Tyson's junior year. And the team was just like crazy. Like it was crazy being 15 and going to play basketball in an arena. And like people lined up to like get your autograph. And you're like, bro, we the same age. (laughs) Like this is so crazy. And this is pre-social media though too. So it's just like they get to see you in person. It's different. It was, I mean, we were like, we're touring the country. Like we're playing Eddie Curry over here. Like uh, Dewan Wagner and like Mm, all these like uh, uh, CSA and uh, who am I forgetting? Samir. Um, Just like so many like the biggest names of that, like, mm-hmm. that era of, of high Did school you say basketball. Ansu Sensei? Yeah. He like, was live. He from my area. He's nice. I played with him in the D League, yeah. the G League back yeah. then. That's what it was, it was called. It was, and this was high school, like, and you mm-hmm. playing, like, future NBA all like, everywhere you mm-hmm. go, the team is, like, a nationally ranked, mm-hmm. like, crazy team. And so that was just, like, it seemed like everywhere I was going, I was being thrown into, like, the the highest version, like mm. you're gonna learn, grease. yeah, you're, like, you're gonna you learn fry, baby. real fast. Right. Like, everywhere you go, you're gonna have to learn real fast. Right. And it's been that same way, like every time. And then, so, like, after, you know, I graduated in 2003 and I went to Long Beach State, we went to the tournament. I think my senior year was like the, the year we went to the tournament, 12 5 game. Uh, got beat up by Tennessee. I watched it. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Them like, niggas wasn't missing though. We were. See, that's what it was. <laughs> that's that's what what it was. was. Tennessee huh? was. Yeah, Vince Yarbrough was he already gone to Tennessee? He might have already been gone. I think he was. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, the thing was, it wasn't like we played bad. They played amazing. Mm. Like we we led the nation in scoring that year. We averaged eighty nine points a game uh, that season, and they came out shooting like yak 60 70 percent from three just like was not missing and like we were making shots but we were like making layups and like doing it and they're like three-pointer whatever we do three-pointer and i was like oh y'all just like hot mm-hmm. like there's nothing we could do about this like we not it's like we're not turning the ball over mm-hmm. we not like like messing up our plays it's just like y'all are just balling and there ain't nothing we could do about it right and so it was fun, man. Like to play in a tournament. Like if you get a chance, like mm-hmm. it's amazing. And so That's I was fun. happy that like at every stage I got to like experience at least the thing or whatever yeah. the high point of that yeah. thing was. So when I graduated, I was like, I was happy. I had knee surgery. That's why you know mm-hmm. that, I saw that, you that, that, knee. that you my meniscus sophomore, surgery. Yeah, my sophomore yeah. year it blew out in practice, and so I only played three of my four years because mm-hmm. after I did the rehab year, it was so hard, man. And I just didn't want to do Did it. Did they anymore. take it out, repair yeah, it? They took it out. All of it? Yeah, all lateral all was like it? all gone. Yeah. Damn, they had to take 40%. I tore my meniscus with the Lakers and I was out like seven weeks. They took 40% out. So every once in a while I, I had to do this. He, but th- that, he told me they were going to like what they thought they were going to do and what they ended up being able to do. It, it. Yeah, because like he showed me the picture afterwards and there ain't like nothing in there. Yeah. Like it's it hard. Was like, you have arthritis and shit because it's hard to get yeah. blood flow in that area to yeah. kind of rebuild everything. Yeah. Hooper stories. <laughs> well, just the events around race, racism, social justice, how has that impacted you in the last couple of years? And do you see light starting to come out at the end of the, at the, end of the tunnel? The term social justice, like for me, we, we, we just trying to live. 
Right. You know what I mean? It's like, it, I guess there's a very strategic way you have to go about getting what you want in America. But, it, you know, when you're black, you're initiated. You don't have to decide to get a cause and go, this is like about surviving, or as I call it, sir, thriving. You want to be alive and you want to be well, you know? So the answer to the question, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? No. There's not. There's no light. Uh, it, things will... I'm hopeful that we figure things out, but I just hope people understand that, like, we talk about so many different things that, uh, you know, I talk to people and people go, hey, I'm going to get a lot of money and I'm going to give back to your community. That's dope. That's amazing. Everybody should do that. Everybody should should seek to, we live in a capitalist uh, in a capitalist society, everybody should seek to get a lot of money and create a lot of jobs and do all of that stuff. I just hope people know that that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is intentional systemic dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Intentional systemic dysfunction. I want you to look all over the world at places that had systems that were intentional, intentionally unequal, right? If you look at apartheid in South Africa, in order for South Africa to turn, apartheid has to go, mm -hmm. right? It has to go. Obviously, that's different than what we're talking about here, but we're talking about participation and cooperation in the guts of America, in the guts of it, in the guts of what this country is. And it's a participation that as black people, we've always had. Like, it, it's it's interesting. There's a God com whiteness is a God complex, right? Like, whiteness as it exists is the belief that this was all created by one omnipotent force. And you're lucky to worship that force. That's what white supremacy is. You're lucky to be here. We took you out of Africa, right? Where you were running around with a fucking bone in your nose. You couldn't read. You had no culture. You had no nothing. We came, we came you over and we taught you how to use a salad fork. And what you should do is for, in perpetuity, you and your progeny, you should worship that. Right? That's bullshit. Total. That's bullshit. Number one, what we were and what we are on that continent is completely different than what you said. On culture, on family, on laws, on hierarchies, royalty, riches, wealth, doctors, scientists, all of that stuff. It's all a lie. People figuring out the way the world works over there. So that's bullshit. And then over when, when you talk about us coming over here, you didn't do anything alone. Like Franklin said, brick by brick, the labor that built the country is on the sweat of my ancestors. There's been the only thing that we've ever been given license to do in America is be exploited. So systems built on that, how do you fix them? Well, you can try to fix them by participation in those systems, and some of us will win that way. But the better way to fix them is to reprogram the systems themselves. And that's hard mm -hmm. because that means that somebody has to do what nobody wants to do in America is lose. You see what I'm saying? Like they're cool with us losing because they put us in a position to lose for a very long jump. time. From the jump. So the question then is, all right, I'm at, what I'm asking you is I'm asking you not to grease the wheels for everybody around you to get an advantage. 
I'm asking corporations to pay the appropriate tax rate, right? I'm asking for real participatory action into America, what you say you want. And once that happens, we'll get together and we'll work in our communities and we'll fix them. But the piece of the pie, it has to be divvied out equally or with some sort of equity. Now, anytime you start talking about that, anytime you start examining or when you say you want an accounting of America, you want to open up the books, you want to know exactly what you're entitled to as an American citizen. And I use the word entitled because these are promises that have been made. Promises. So you're not asking for nothing you're not fucking entitled to. Right. People talking about people complaining. Well, complaining about freedom in America would be like your lungs complaining about air. Right. It's that simple. Like your lungs are entitled to air. Their function is air. As an American citizen, your function is freedom. Right. They say no and they have all kinds of reasons that they don't do it. We don't have environmental freedom. We don't have social freedom. We don't have freedom of movement. We don't have any of that. So we need to overhaul. We need serious people to do it. And it's not philanthropy. It's not posting black squares on your gram. It's not none of that. It's dirty, hard, rigorous work by a lot of people who are looking in a lot of fucking mirrors. And so my hope is that this is a beginning because of the information. Mm -hmm. Like even the, the 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 people in the past, right, that they would have us look at, right, and give us examples of their lives. They always give us examples of people that they shot up, lives that were ended. We don't think about the fact that Malcolm X and Dr. King were just men with families. Mm-hmm. Forget about being these great social social people and people that changed America. They were guys with families. Mothers lost husbands. That depended on them. Kids lost dads. No more daddy. Government killed daddy. Mm. And then what, we look at that and we go, okay, they left great lives. They sacrificed for what? They didn't sacrifice shit. They were murdered. Mm -hmm. Like Nancy Pelosi said, George Floyd, I know that's somebody close to you, Stack, sacrificed his life for whatever. He was murdered. George Floyd didn't choose to mm -hmm. die. He didn't right. Right. at all. So stop acting like there's something virtuous in black death. Right. So what I'm saying is all of these things have to change. Like all of these ideas have got to change. And in order to change them, we got to face them. And so I'm hopeful that we can start to face them. And I think that, there, that there's so much information in there. So, and by the way, everybody's, the last thing I want to say about this, because I know I'm joining on. Stop looking across the other side of things and picking apart what it is your brother or your sister is doing. Mm. Do your part. Do your part. Like, stop arguing whether or not no name is right or whether or not Mike Killer Mike is right. Right. Like, do your part. Jump in there, right? If you are a black capitalist, tell me how we gonna win. If you are a socialist or a Marxist, Tell me how we going to win. Mm -hmm. Get the information out to the people and let them decide what's the best way to fix America. Mm -hmm. But stop. We have to... Look, I do it too sometimes. I went on a whole rant about Van Jones. A whole rant on my podcast about Van Jones. You know what I did? After, I know how you feel, but you know what I did after? I picked up the phone. I called Van Jones. I apologized to him. And the reason why I apologized to him 
It's because I don't I don't agree with a lot of the ways that Van Jones. Moved. You not though. Like I don't I don't I don't agree with a lot of the ways that Van Jones. That's not moved. real. If you're gonna agree with everything somebody say, that's but, not real. But the reality is, there are people who are incarcerated who are home with their families because of the work that he has been doing. I'm not gonna hang out with Trump and them. I'm not going up there to sign no bills. I'm not doing anything. Well, I might go up there to sign a bill, but I'm not gonna go. I'm not doing all of that. But that's his thing. Doesn't matter what I think of it. Can't stand in the way of progress. So whatever conversations, whatever whatever we have, let's talk about them to each other. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm saying. I, and I'm hopeful that those things can start. Yeah, I, I I try to simplify for a lot of people, man. Just imagine you starting a business, and you hire 30 employees. The 30 employees build your business to a billion dollar business, but then you treat them like shit. Yeah. They're gonna eventually turn on you. And that's what that's this world. That's that's the that's the United States. We then you tell it. then you tell them they had nothing to do with exactly. it. Exactly. So this is this is what we're going through right now. You can't continue to expect the people that built this place to live the right way or to overlook what's been done to them and continue to treat them like shit and they not rebel on you. You know what I'm saying? And we waking up now. It's not just us, man. It, you know, like I said, what happened to Georgie put me in this position. And I don't even consider myself an activist. I'm, I'm going out and just doing right by the community. Yeah. I don't even want to be put in that position because I'm not that because I know people that go by their title. And I'm not an activist either. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They go by their title. They've done great work. So I don't even, even want to diminish their work and put myself as an activist. But at the same time, we all have a part to play. And if you out there doing your part, you don't have time to worry about what somebody else is not doing if they're doing it right or not. Word. We all have a part to play. We all have the same goal. Right. And that's to get treated like human beings and not like animals. And that, and when people think like that, Van, it's easier for us to get there. But everybody's always worried about what somebody else is doing. And then again, I'm going to finish on this. Everybody has their religion, who they pray to. When you get ready to go and, and you go into your judgment day, you're not getting judged about what somebody else did. Word. It's about what you did on this earth and the good you did. Yeah. So worry about what you do, live righteous, and I think we'll get there. You yeah. know what I'm saying? But, I, we, but we have to worry about what we can do ourselves and not what somebody else is doing. But I think also, too, I mean, any change we fight for now, however part, whatever role we play, we probably won't really see it. You always that's say that, that's we right. We have to understand, yeah. like, what we're doing now is our kids are going to see it. My sons are going to see it. If you guys have children, have children soon, your kids are going to see it. So it's also fighting something for you know you really may never get a piece of. Right. You don't know, really yeah. never get to benefit from. And are you okay with that? You know, mm-hmm. but I think obviously once you become, a, even if you don't have children, but I know like once I became a father, like that outlook changed. Like, damn, I'm doing all this. I'm not going to feel it. But now, no, I'm doing all this now because my kids are going to feel it and their kids are going to feel right. it. And the next generation needs to see it. So I definitely, I, I just feel encouraged from a standpoint of, you know, for 400 plus years, it's been one way. And I think for the first time, unfortunately, through George Floyd being killed, they're listening. That some of them may have pretended they're listening, but enough people are listening now. So what what is our strategic plan moving forward? Like we can't continue to fight, kill, and do all this shit and, and think we're going to overtake it. Right. We got to overtake it with our mind, you know, and, and our unity. And I, I see some of that. Obviously, we take a couple steps forward and then take a few steps back. But I think overall, we're starting to understand like together, we're not the minority because of the skin color. They try to call us the minority to keep us in our place, but we're actually the majority. Right. And, and the only thing I want, it's so simple, is like people come to me like, what do you want, right? And we're all successful guys. We're sitting up here and we're talking about what's wrong with the country. A lot of people look at that and they go, hey, look, you got millions of dollars up here. Oh, yeah, y'all, y'all straight. A thousand dollars over here in Van. 
and they say and they say like you know what is a this is what I want. You know what I want? Safe black people. Mm-hmm. If I just want safe, safe means environmentally safe. Safe means economically safe. Mm-hmm. Do you know like it's like we talked about stress and trauma. I just think about like uh, one time my dad is real quick. One time my dad like saw my um, well, my uncle Mark passed away. He was on drugs for you know most of his life, and he had gone to the pen and stuff like that. I'm sitting in the truck with my dad, and my dad hangs up the phone. He goes, man, Mark back on that shit. And he gives himself a split second to be sad about the fact that his brother was back on drugs. A split second. He looks at me, he goes, nigga, if I ever catch you fucking with drugs, I never forget... Cut the car off. I hadn't done nothing. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, cut the car off. If I ever catch you fucking with drugs, I will kill you myself. He looks at me like, look at me. Don't you bring that shit in my house? Don't you fuck with nobody that's fucking with that? Then I'll hurt you. He's scared. He's scared, right? He lives in the community where his son has to deal with that. He's upset. He's scared. He saw what happened to his brother. Doesn't want to happen to me. Right. Now he's got to make. Now he's got to put fear in me. Mm-hmm. This, this, we're not safe. We don't feel safe, and we need to build more apparatuses in America where we feel safe, so we can live out our lives. That's mm-hmm. all I'm saying. Just safe black people. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on you being a former athlete? Obviously, athletes' role in continuing to amplify these messages that our our community are coming up with, the activists are coming up with. And how important that is. Jack and I had a, a disagreement when the NBA was going into the bubble. He thought, and we like we really like completely opposite, different sides how we thought, but we talked and understood the pros and cons of both sides. But he thought that people shouldn't play. We should continue to march, fight, bring awareness to this. I flipped it, thinking like if we do play, the all you know our voices are going to be amplified with that NBA logo behind us. Like you'll be able to hear LeBron or hear CP, but you won't be able to hear our whole message. Our whole message travels around the world when that logo is behind it. So I, we, we went back and forth with, you know, whether guys should play or not, but they played. I thought they put the message out. How important do you think at not only basketball, but athletes and other entertainers, uh, how important it is for them to continue to push the needle and make people uncomfortable? I think it's it's one of the things I think is so important because athletes are some of the most famous people on the planet. And, like, they're, sports is one of those things where people leave their, their party lines at the door. When you show up to the arena, you're a Lakers fan. Mm-hmm. You're not a Republican Lakers fan or a Democratic right. Lakers fan. You're yeah, a that. Lakers fan, and that's the Bulls, and fuck the Bulls. Mm-hmm. The Lakers better win this game. Right. And so when you're cheering on and supporting the these athletes across any sport, I think among, from my experience, there is a fear of not having the the knowledge or the ability to speak like the people you see on TV when you talk about an issue, mm. to be able to support it or to, to voice how you feel. Be heard, right. To, or to, yeah, to be heard. And I think that causes a lot of athletes to just say nothing or to just kind of hide in the shadows and like let LeBron and let Chris and let mm. 
uh, uh, Megan Rapinoe and it all like it's hot them... too when you step out there they're gonna listen to every word and look how to yeah. tear it down so when you do take that leap of faith it's scary it is I mean? and I totally you know get cause you're you. like I got a brand I got millions mm -hmm. of dollars to protect my family it totally makes sense what I what I think we can get to is a place where it's a more cohesive voice where you don't have to feel isolated right. in mm -hmm. I gotta know all the ins and outs of the the George Floyd Act to be able to talk about why I support mm -hmm. elements of it or why I support mm -hmm. this or why I support that. Or just have friends like Van. <laughs> and let, you, yeah, and just like let them let them do it for you. But I think it's like you're saying, so many millions of people are listening mm -hmm. and paying attention. Just seeing Black Lives Matter on the court mm -hmm. every game right. is is making you face it. If you're a fan who's been trying to avoid it, you can't. Right. There it is. And you have to be confronted with it. And if if more and more athletes, if more and more organizations would support the athletes in using their voice to to talk about the things that are plaguing their community, because you have an NBA that's like 80% black, you have the NFL that's like 70. 80, 70 mm -hmm. something percent black. How can you as an organization look at the fact that your entire business is built on their backs, on their ability to perform? and you ignore the things that they take home every day. Because they think they're doing you a favor by allowing you to play on the exactly. team. They don't, they don't understand that you worked hard your whole life. It's the gift from God that you have. Exactly. They didn't do nothing. They're giving you an opportunity, right. but you taking advantage of it. So they, that's how they think, though. They think they're giving you something that you didn't work for. Well, I think that's what we, I mean, we need more empathy and understanding, in my point of view, because you can't expect a middle-class, upper-class white man to ever understand our struggle because he'll yeah. never have to go through this. So what we're asking you is to kind of step outside of your life and and not even walk a mile in our shoes. Just put the, see if them motherfuckers fit and right. kind of have an understanding of our day-to-day -day battles. But why would they do that? You got, you got black people that see people struggling in their own neighborhood and they get out and make it and don't even think to go, you know, they, they in that position with these people. You know what I'm saying? So how can you expect another race to care about our issues when we don't even care about our own people? So both of y'all are right, in my opinion. And it, and I know this that's a very, you're not supposed to say it on the podcast. You should be like, fuck that shit. No, but <laughs> both of y'all are right. So either way works, but it just ha you have to be committed to it. Now, what you just said is very, very, very key. It's like what you what you said is people sometimes make out of the, the, uh, the projects or whatever, and they don't give back and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's actually not even in our nature. Right. Like that's learned. Like mm -hmm. we're we're cooperative, right? But if you get so we have to make a decision as a community whether or not we're actually a community or we're just a bunch of people that the survive. Lived, yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like so so like like we we like we have to make a decision about whether or not we're a community or we just like a bunch of people that survive some shit. Because right now if we all if we all like on a plane, right? We on a plane, we cruise into our altitude, right? We're going to like, I don't know, Cancun, whatever. We're going someplace. Like, we're all going to, you go, hey, bro, look at this movie. I'm going to watch this movie. I'm, I'm going to watch the movie. You go, hey, man, I can't wait till we get there. When we get there, we're going to be like, we're going to coordinate. We're all going to work together. If the plane goes down, me, Trayvon, and Matt are going to be like, let's eat Jack. <laughs> if the plane goes down... We're going to start looking around and being like, okay, who can we eat? Jack can't swim, so. Right, right, right. <laughs> so we, because now our primary focus is surviving right. something. Mm -hmm. So it's like, fuck it. I got to stay warm. I got to stay fed. 
and not everybody can do it. Right. Right. Not everybody can stay warm and stay fed. Everybody can't. So then we start looking for the weak person who can't, and then we get them out of there and we take what it is that they got. And that's just not community. That's not what a community is. The community is seeing somebody who may be struggling or who may need a look and helping them because of a belief inherently and a taught belief that they're going to add something when they get to where you are. Right. So in terms of your point, that's what we have to decide whether or not we're a community or whether or not we're just a bunch of people that survive some shit. Because mm-hmm. survivors going to go their own way. Now, as far as what you guys were talking about in the bubble, I really didn't... Like, for me, it's like Kyrie Irving is my favorite basketball player on the planet, right? He's my favorite basketball player because I think he's doing something invaluable. He's giving context and perspective to this. He is playing basketball, and basketball has provided him a, a, a great a, life a, a great life and a platform mm-hmm. is NBA basketball as important as what's going on in the Middle East now it's just not it's just not. you have to be a moron to think that when ki- when kids are dying right so when he, when you put a mic in his face and he goes hey yeah basketball is cool but I want to talk about what's going on in Kenosha Wisconsin we we got to have that yeah. And the rub is that we can't have that if they're not playing. You know what I mean? But then if they don't play, that would be a huge, huge, huge big thing too because that would be fucking on people's pockets so bad. Right. So I think both people are right. But I think one thing that we have to do, to Trayvon's point, is we just have to know what we're saying. I see so many people, <laughs> and I, I, I see Stephen A. Smith, uh, and I love Stephen A. Smith. I see Stephen A. Smith being critical of Kyrie and being critical of like what he's doing and how he's comporting himself, I think that balance is needed. I think that, to be honest with you, if athletes would have been like this in the 90s or in the 80s, It'd we be might be place. better off right now. I'm and I'm not, I'm not coming at those guys. I'm just saying, yeah, it's shit going on. Mm-hmm. I know the dude can put the ball in the hole. But what else you got for us? I personally like white, making white people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I think they actually, I think they think better and on their feet. I think we're doing a disservice to white people by keeping them comfortable mm-hmm. because they're not going to do it right. And now we're going to have to come at them. The best thing we can do for white America is continuously make them uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then we'll all get to a place where maybe we could all be a little bit more comfortable. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, it's crazy you brought up Kyrie because I was someone who was uh, opinionated on his thing because it didn't seem like when he first came with the idea that he had a plan. To me, I wanted to have a plan. This is another thing he and I went at. Yeah, me and Kyrie talk every day. And yeah. it was it was something because it's just like, you know, you have that platform. Like, what's your poke? You're not going to play. What's the plan? Right. Not playing is not solving anything. Like right. you said, you're just, you're making people mad because games are, but like, what's your plan? And then once I kind of figured out what his plan or hearing what his plan and seeing that he really had a plan... I had to take a step back and admit that I was wrong because, like, to me, I think, like I said, our strength is our platform. Our strength is our voice. Our strength is our ability to connect dots. Our strength is our ability to get our voice around the world. So, okay, if you're just going to sit out, that's you're wasting all the – but he was doing more than just but Let me ask out. you this. What if he didn't have a plan? What if he just said, a black man got shot today, I don't feel like shooting the basketball? I would understand that, but to me, it's it's not like – that's your that's your individual choice, okay, and that's what you want to do. You know what I mean? But to, to to criticize other people that want to go move forward and go ahead and play, or I got you, I'm not with. But if you do, like I said, find out that he did have a plan. Like I had to take a step back and, and admit I was wrong and have extended a hand and 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 sitting down and having a conversation. But I completely agree. Like the way he handles stuff now, and and to me, 
I mean, we're transitioning into the basketball conversation uh, part of the interview right now. I think Kyrie is the best player right now he's ever been because he's so clear on who he is as a player on and off the court. Super confident. Like he's so at peace with who he is on and off the court and not a, a motherfucker can't disturb that. And then usually when you're at peace, that's when you're at your best and everything you're putting your foot, you know, you're putting your your foot first too. So I love what he's doing. I, I definitely love that. Look at the season he had though. 50, 40, 90. The sixth player. Seventh player. Seventh player in history. Yeah. So it's. And fast after fast in a month. Mm-hmm. I don't understand his game. It's incredible. It's, 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 he just got to, so much in his bag. You can't, you don't know what you're going to pull out. It's not <laughs> even a, but, but it's not a bag. I think it's, I think it's. Disrespectful to call what Kyrie Irving has about. <laughs> he got like, you know, like them little infinity symbols? Forever. He, Whatever he wants. Yeah. So my man, yeah, my man Irv Rowland, right? My man Irv Rowland, he works with he works with Kyrie. And he told me one time, because like I'm trying to get my game back right for the adult men's leagues. This nigga starts rubbing his buckets. knees when Bam. he's talking about that. I got, okay, I got buckets. Up. Just because you rub your knees don't mean that. Him off, <laughs> he went through, he, okay, not too long ago, if y'all don't know, he went back to some old footage. He yeah. was a little heavier, yeah. and he showed himself dunking. That was a while back, Van. I don't know if you're going to get back to that. But see, here's the thing, though. It's not about dunking anymore. Okay. All right. There's <laughs> been a player in the NBA that has set me free. Oh, Luka? Jokic. Jokic. Oh, yeah. I can do that, bro. <laughs> bro, bro, bro I'm telling you, bro. I can, I can do that. Bro, bro that... Like, but you're only six two. He's but, seven feet. But I'm in the I'm in the men's league though. So yeah. you're in the over men's there. league, I'm Jokic. Okay, okay. All right, you know what I'm saying? Okay. And so, so what I'm saying, like I look at Jokic and I'm like, sometimes, bro, Jokic is crazy, bro. Like this nigga is not fast. A athletic, and like, and bro, bro, like, and I'm looking at Jokic. I'm like, yo, I can do that. And I hear Irv. I hear Irv and be like, bro, I just send him Jokic clips and stuff like this. He'd be like, Van, stop. I'm actually working with a real NBA player. I'm like, this I can do. Um, but he told me he said. Kyrie, and it's something that I even can't, because people think they know about basketball, but they really don't know anything about basketball, a lot of people. It's like Kyrie really just, he's not even setting you up, he's just really re reacting to whatever it is you do. the whole game. Whatever it is you do, he's going at full speed, just reacting. And it don't even look right. I can't think of anybody that's been that, maybe Steph has been that skilled. Steph is pretty, yep. like I can't think of anybody that skilled. With him and Jokic, one thing with them, their basketball IQ is through the roof. Mm -hmm. So is mine. <laughs> Y'all hating, bro. Like, ass turn. And like, 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 like ass, oh, oh, here ass, we go again. Ass turn. Ass turn. Ass turn. Hey, this term name is the most dropped on hey, this show. We have BD ever. on in uh, Ass term. Term, no, brought, we, term we, no, I can play. We brought term on. Term got some love. Oh, term here we is go the with most mentioned uh, person, not a celebrity. Yeah, yeah ever. Has on been the show. On the show. <laughs> Thoughts on the playoffs? Laker fans, Nets fans, who you guys have? What are you interested in this? Uh, this season's playoffs. Man, it's hard not to ride for my team. It's, it's, I just want the Lakers to play well. Thoughts on your team? Then you uh, on their chance. Um, Battling injury, coming into playoffs. I'm, I'm not getting my hopes up, man. As, as it's been bad. Just know it's you got bad. two players that hurt. Uh, tsunami, hurricane, anything can happen. They still got a chance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it is one of those things where like you, you, you can't count out Bron. Like it's hard to ever Never. count him out. I mean, I've, I've, you know, every we've all watched him play for the last like ten years like a monster and just defy so many mm -hmm. odds and come back from three one and do all the things that like you just, you just you can't count him out. But I mean. 
Father Time, man, you can't. It's coming. It's I, I mean, I don't got to tell y'all. Like it's is oh, yeah. when you play he that will. high level long enough, eventually your body's like enough. He's been and, in his prime his whole career, which is insane. Yeah, and so I mean, I'm hoping we not witnessing that like him like start to creep over that thing just yet. But you know, we all know it's coming. Holly like, Jalen's wife said he's setting it up. I'm hurt. I beat Steph. And I went, he's setting up the whole Oh, he's little, doing, he's yeah, rope doping you know, us. Yeah, you know, Braun's smart now. He's rope doping us. You know, I thought up. about that, too. He's, I was like, I wonder he if he just like. He might be setting it up, bro. I'm not, he, I wouldn't doubt it. He playing the injury game, and <laughs> yep. then he going to come back and just be like, still, look what I did. Win the championship. Well, he saw man, the game he played the other day. He was catching lobs and doing his old shit he was doing when he was 19. So, Braun is man, very he strategic. Right, he going to be straight. Yeah. What about you, Van? Who you who you riding with, and what are you looking forward to in these playoffs? I think the Lakers, the Lakers are fine. Um. I don't think going on the road to win is going to be as big a deal this time mm -hmm. because the arenas aren't full. Right. So I think the Lakers are fine. I think uh, it's really – the Lakers aren't so much the question. I think the question for me is what really do these other teams have? Is Phoenix legit? Is Utah legit? Are the Clippers legit? Like, are these teams, when it when push comes to shove, are they really ready to make deep playoff runs? You got to realize when these teams right now, they're looking at a wounded Lakers, and they got blood dripping right here. They can't wait, yeah. to, they can't him. wait to get them. Yeah, I'm with it. I, I, I do think, though, to have, to have the Lakers as an eight or a seven it's is scary. Like a it's and eight. they would be favored. It's entertaining, yeah. though. It's so yeah. entertaining. And if they would be favored, that'd be crazy. And imagine them coming from a seven or eight seed. I, to me, in the Western Conference, and um, CP's my guy. They're the two seed. But I wouldn't be surprised if there was a, a, a one eight or a two seven upset in the playoffs this year. I don't think the top from a conspiracy standpoint, can really handle, you know, the, the the meat of the pack has been there. The top of the pack hasn't really been there. So I wouldn't be surprised. In the Eastern Conference, you guys like, who you guys like over there? The the Wizards have been interesting. Like, you know, they, they, they I think they finished the season, like, pretty strong. Well, I mean, the Sixers is... Sixers, Nets. I mean, the Nets, man. The Sixers Milwaukee. from the Nets. Milwaukee. See, to me, Milwaukee is the sleeper to me in the Eastern because they've flown under the radar. They've always been the one seed with, you know, not always, last couple of years and haven't achieved that. But now they've been under the radar working on different lineups. Giannis is the monster. If Giannis can be that regular season guy in the playoffs. Holiday. They, and at the end of the season, Holiday's, they did yeah. factor twice. So this is the thing for me. Like, in the East, obviously, if Brooklyn is healthy, Brooklyn is the favorite no in the question. East, right? But the East has some really interesting wild cards. Like, for example, Miami has the experience, mm -hmm. right? Miami has the experience. Miami has guys who have been there. They just made a run. Yo, the Bucks have a kind of weird, favorable matchup with the Nets. The Bucks can defend with the Nets and I'll score them and and I'll score them. So the Bucks, can, the Bucks, they they don't have. It's not a favorable matchup, but it's a weirdly good matchup for them. Holiday can be effective in slowing down Kyrie. You know, you can use Giannis a little bit on Durant. Um, I'm not saying anybody's gonna stop those guys, but it looks like like on his face that they maybe be able to compete with them. You know, in, mm -hmm. in, in a series. For me, the interesting thing is how good is Joel Embiid. Mm. Like, how good is Joel Embiid? I think he's a motherfucker. Man, I know, I know he is a motherfucker, but like, is he, is Joel Embiid right now Shaq in 95 or is he Shaq in 2001? You know what I mean? Is he, is he ready to take over? Shaq has always been a dominant force. Right. 
But at one point, it was a fucking joke. joke. Two, yeah. Early 2000s? Yeah. It was yeah. a joke. Right. It's Joel and B ready to take completely over. Because if he is really ready to be that guy, if he's that guy mm, now, great chance. then like you, you then then they're dangerous too. It's just hard to pick against yeah. Brooklyn. Yeah, because he damn. is he is unstoppable. Oh, we haven't even mentioned my my favorite team in the whole league now. My favorite team in the whole league. To me, the guy who is the league MVP. I, like I like I love watching the Knicks play. Man, stop. Julius <laughs> Randle is the oh no, nah, he balling, he balling, but MVP and favorite team to watch. You tripping? I love watching the Knicks. Oh, I understand that. Where you where you originally from? I'm from Louisiana, Baton Rouge. And how you get to being a Laker fan? Uh, because we lived out here for a couple of years, like a year and a half. I remember my dad had this contract, and the guy they couldn't like let my dad. <laughs> I, 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 I had to ask you that. Like, like, they couldn't like seriously. My dad was a semen finish out here, and he had this contract with this guy, and the guy was like, "Look, I can't meet that number." But my brother just gave me some Laker tickets. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and, 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 and my dad was like, hey, you want to go see the Laker game? Day, you want to go see the Laker game? <laughs> and we go see the Laker game. I'm, I'm looking around this bitch. I'm like, I'm sitting there. I'm like, yo, is that Arsenio Hall? And my dad's like, yeah, yeah, famous people come to these games. I'm like, yo, this shit is a fucking amazing. Why would you be? And, and we didn't have a team. So I've been on the Lakers. Man, I don't fuck that. People always do that to me. I suffer with the Lakers. Through the Sedell uh, Three era, mm. I suffered I through the, the, I, I suffered through the Lakers. III. I was the, the Robert Sacre era when we when we like had like fucking you know D'Angelo Russell was the, on the sink was shipping. Uh, the, 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 the ship was sinking. Yeah, I was like shout out to D'Angelo Russell. I'm not done, but you know that whole mm-hmm. like I was with them. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a Laker fan. But the Knicks, bro, I love watching D Rose do his thing, bro. I love watching. Yeah, Julius I do too. Randall. I, do I too. love watching these guys, and they they play so inspired. Don't expect mm-hmm. much. They, they, you, don't, you don't expect much from the Knicks in the playoffs? I don't expect them to come out the East. Well, they're not going to come out the yeah, East. Yeah, it might, it might be entertaining to watch them play a couple games, but, you know, let's, let's, <laughs> let's slow down now. Shout out to Coach Tibbs, though. Yeah, Shout out to Tibbs. Great yeah. turnaround. Quick hitters, man. First thing to come to mind, and you guys are collabing on some of these answers. So together, your top five artists. Uh, music? Yeah, music. Oh, shit. Uh, just in any genre? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rihanna, Hove. Drake, Fredo Bang. Okay. Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Look at it. By time, go home. Fredo Bang. Thank you for Baton going Rouge, home. Louisiana. Um, and Tame Impala. <laughs> Who? Tame Impala. You only y'all listen to Tame Impala? I'm not familiar. I'm not familiar. I listen to I yeah, listen to, to, listen to some Tame Impala in your life, bro. Who you got? Who, who you got? I'm gonna go Kendrick, Cole, Drake, Frank, and Jay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Nice. Top five's more most impact impactful films, Trayvon. Ooh, you wow. first. Impactful films. Top Ooh, five. Um in no particular order, I'ma say uh Do the Right Thing, Boys in the Hood, The Godfather, mm-hmm. Moonlight. Ooh. Um and uh Oh God! What's the what's the fifth one? Um, <laughs> and two distant strangers. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> if you ever do a, a a black version of Godfather, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm getting into the business. Matt walking me in, so mm-hmm. I will be perfect for that movie. Mm-hmm. Van, Man, if you could sit at any game courtside in NBA history, what game would it be? Oh shit! The 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 eighty one pointer. Oh yeah, Toronto. I don't give a fuck 
if we lost, oh, well, if how good we were because we did win the game. <laughs> but man, to watch that great cook like that on TV is mm. interesting. And the narrative, like the we were down. Kobe did what he had to do to win. So that would be the one. Now there were games that, like, obviously, you know, bigger games and stuff like that. But to watch him do that, if you could be on any movie set ever to see how it unfolded, what movie would it be? Thank you, Matt. Um, Good ass question. A, yeah, I, there's two movies in my head. I'm having a hard time picking one. Tell us both. You can uh, both. It would either have to be Do the Right Thing or The Godfather Two. Second one. Mine would be Reservoir Dogs. That would be a good one. Well, shit, we know. You know, <laughs> you know. It's funny you said that. That was your second movie. No, oh. it's it's because I watched Reservoir Dogs recently, and you know, Lawrence Bender is one of our producers. Shout out to Lawrence. He produced. And that. I and I and I text him about this, and I'm I'm always very blunt about it with him. That movie don't hold up, man. Nigga, yeah. you out your fucking mind. It don't, don't hold, hold up. up. It's, it's good. Reservoir Dogs is it, fucking it amazing. It don't hold up, bro. One thing about it, you can't you, you can't predict. You. Is, like, you can't predict what's gonna happen. Look, man. There is so many absolutely unnecessary niggas in Reservoir Dogs <laughs> that it is unwatchable. What's who's unnecessary? Go, go watch the first twenty minutes. Go watch the first twenty minutes of Reservoir Dogs today, mm. and tell me after you watch it that you're not going. You can't pick out five niggas that don't need to be in the script. And any <laughs> nigga that's not said by a nigga in the movie not supposed to be in the script. <laughs> what you mean? That's really the, the it truth. It just don't. It just. It, it, it don't hold up to me, man. It don't Fair hold up. up to me. But, and I say that as a person who loved that movie right. and hadn't watched it for a lo- in a long time. Like last month, I put it on and go, damn, man, this just feels like gratuitous in a way that I'm, I'm not really sure oh, about it anymore. And, mm-hmm. But no, man. Shout God out to Lawrence. Two. Godfather 2. Van, five dinner guests dead or alive. Okay. You know this one to be this one to be all over the place. Mm. Tough. So it's like uh so uh Ella Baker. For our fans, who is Ella Baker? Ella Baker is one of the most not talked about people in black history. Okay. She's a black woman that was very vital in the founding of SNCC and was like a mentor to John Lewis and Stokely mm-hmm. Carmichael and guys like that. Nice. She's like amazing. So I hope to bring her story out to to the masses one day. So I would say Ella Baker. Damn, it's a tough question. Marvin Gaye. I think Marvin Gaye had a, like an, an incredible life. Barack Obama. You know, I want to meet Barack Obama. I've never met Barack Obama before. Uh, Stanley Kubrick. And probably James Baldwin. Probably James Baldwin. Interesting table. Yeah, interesting table. Probably James Baldwin. Trey? That's hard, though. Um, Dead or alive? I would definitely say Baldwin. He's on my shirt right now. That's like Mm -hmm. one of my my gods. Obama, um, for sure. Malcolm? Yeah, my favorite. His birthday yesterday, right? Um, Yeah, yesterday. Malcolm. Malcolm and Martin, you know why? Because like that would be an interesting conversation in twenty twenty one. Just to like mm-hmm. contextualize that. Give him a little alcohol, and, him a little alcohol and see what happens. And then to just like really want to get Martin too drunk. <laughs> Word. <laughs> and then I think like maybe to really like like mix it up, I throw Hove in there. Oh, okay. 
Just because so. I just imagine just cause. how fucking crazy that would be. Mm-hmm. This question is for both of y'all. Who do y'all want to see on this show? I want to see y'all rap with Obama, man. Ooh, that would be dope as fuck too. Yeah, that's I want to. I want to see That'd that be conversation. Dope. I, that would be like the Sean King episode with me. I probably wouldn't say much. I'd just be sitting there listening. That'd be dope. Obama got to smoke though. Oh, I'm sure he did. You just smoke squares. Uh, yeah, he's just like Obama. I thought he used to smoke trees. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Obama yeah. got to smoke. I want to just see Obama. I mean, look, he, he, he got them purple lips. Showtime got Showtime. <laughs> <laughs> he got the. His, I'm, I know what smoking lips it's look in like. His lineage. And nine out of ten times when I, nine out of ten times <laughs> I can tell a smoker by his lips. But I just mine purple. Yeah, <laughs> that's when I knew Jack got traded to the Warriors. I looked at Thank his lips, you. I knew he smoked. I was like, we going to get along just fine. And look at us now, <laughs> 12 years later. The anyway, gosh. man, fellas, we appreciate your time. Thank you appreciate very much. Y'all, Again, man. Congratulations you, on the man. Oscar and all the success. And hopefully it opens plenty of doors for you guys and, and your team. Can all I ask you one question before you yeah. go? Yeah. yeah, please. Just one basketball question. Yes, sir. If the Warriors get in as an AC, right? Mm-hmm. In a seven-game series between this these AC Warriors, and the We Believe Warriors. If they got Clay and all them, I don't know. No, no, no. No, this team Not if right they got here. Clay. Oh, this team right now? This team right now. Yeah, we got them. We might be able to get them. No like Clay, that. no KD, we got them. That's a good question. If they ain't got Clay, we for sure got them. So they no, I'm talking about this eight seed Warriors. We got them. Versus the AC right, we, got we believe Warriors. We would trap the fuck we got out of Steph everywhere, and then we would just be able to control everybody else. We got about five people we can throw at and Steph. Got, Y'all playing you, in this era now. Yo, yeah, yeah, we good. Okay. But you we think, started we played the style. that kind of basketball, though. We shot a bunch of threes. We started that. Right. All right. That's a great question. It's just Steph. Uh-huh. It's just Steph. You don't know what Steph's going to do. When, we you gotta, add, when you add Clay to the mix, uh, it's like, yeah, I, I wouldn't get, we ain't got a chance to do that. You add Clay, <laughs> yeah, you add Clay don't we, we don't even want to go to the game. Right. Yeah. Clay being hurt with this, this team would just, I, I like our chance. They got some young studs now. I, like, don't trip. I, I like their team. Yeah, right. I'm a fun. fan. But I'm talking about this AC right here. No Wiseman. I know it's not a dick. Eighth versus eight. Eight versus eight. Yeah. No Wiseman. We got a good chance. No nobody. We got like. a good chance. Okay. I All like right. that. Good mm-hmm. question. Well, that's a wrap. All the smoke. Trayvon Free, Van Lathan, Oscar Award winners. Uh, congrats again, fellas. Thanks, uh, you man. can catch us on Showtime Basketball YouTube and the iHeart platform, Black Effects. We'll see y'all next week. This is All the Smoke. A production of The Black Effect and iHeartRadio in partnership with Showtime. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. 
For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.